Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, I'm joined by Brittany Davis, and we're going to be discussing a paper entitled Osteoarthritis, a Common Disease That Should Be Avoided in the Athletic Course's Life. This was published in June 2022, so very recent, and it's by Baccarin et al., and it's a um, it's kind of an article published in Animal Frontiers. So it's an overview of osteoarthritis. And it talks about that if given the opportunity to progress, it involves considerable damage to the affected joints. It impacts health, welfare, and of course, performance of athletic courses. Now, I think the welfare welfare portion of it would be whether the horse is comfortable or not. So Brittany, I'm going to let you do some talking and introduce yourself, say what you do, and uh, then we'll go on and discuss this paper. Great. Thank you for having me on here again, Nancy. I love joining you guys. Um, It's too bad Kate couldn't be with us today. Um, My name is Brittany Davis, and I have a master's degree in equine science. I actually went to school with Nancy and Kate, um, and I have just been accepted into a PhD uh, where I will be researching racehorse biomechanics. Um, Currently, I run my own business working as an independent consultant in equine nutrition as well as some biomechanical analysis. Um, My website is davisequine.com. Because I'm located up in Canada. Um, you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Davis Equine Services. Um, but yeah, this is a very interesting paper that seems to have really kind of covered all the basics and touched on just about every aspect that has to do with osteoarthritis. And I think um, arthritis is such a common common condition in horses and in humans and dogs and other species too. Um, I know it's definitely a concern for my clients. I get asked asked about it um, quite a bit, especially in regards to supplements for arthritis. Um, and that's, that's always a tricky bag there. But it's um, one of those conditions, just when you look at how much we're asking of our athletic horses here, it's it's demanding on their bodies, especially if we're starting them really young in hard work and asking them to do a lot of these high performance things. It does take its toll on the body. And once that arthritis starts to develop, there's really no reversing it. And all you can do is manage it. So really it's preventing it for, or delaying it from starting in the first place. That's kind of your best plan of attack. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it, you know, it's just knowledge of its pathways. Mm -hmm. And then um, knowing that it's not just one treatment 
that you're going to use that throughout the course of training, you might have a whole toolbox of treatments that you pull one out one week. And I tend, when I was a groom and a trainer on the racetrack, I often did that. I changed my treatments. Um, if there was a horse that um, might get puffy ankles. One week I might use a little DMSO with dexamethasone and paint that on the ankles. The next week I might do something different, you know, cold water hosing or whatever, poultice. Um, there were so many um, things you could use and then always um, would put that horse in standing wraps in a stall uh, when it was returned to the stall we always did the leg work and made sure they had proper bandaging and all that I think too accurate and early diagnosis is important to establish how severe it is and what the prognosis is it seemed like if we all, if we had an injury that um, happened to a young racehorse, we always kind of lessened its competitiveness. We put it in races that weren't so demanding. So I don't think that has to be if you get an early diagnosis, but oftentimes a knee chip meant maybe the horse wouldn't be racing at the level you once thought it would be. So I think it's really improved in the 25 years that I've been in racing, that type of looking ahead for an animal. Yeah, absolutely. That taking it from that multifactorial approach in management really seems to be the way to do it because there is no one thing that's guaranteed to work. It, it really does seem to be an independent course response to various treatments that are available. Yeah, I know before we really started the recording, um, I had told you that I think the biggest challenge in training racehorses is the innate ability to read a horse and know when you have reached an adequate level of fitness. Um, you know, without causing injury. So to know when you're not reaching too much fitness, because sometimes I notice some trainers would get the horse wound way too tight and then injury was inevitable. And that I think is the hardest thing to do is to know when to back off training. And um, I know having a training schedule is important but not being afraid to say, I think I'm, we're going a little too fast. We're going to back off a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And I think that applies not just to racing, but to English and Western and all your other disciplines is you, you have to be able to read your horse and be able to read what they can and can't handle. And there is such a thing as an overfit horse, just like there's overfit <laughs> human athletes where you're really, with any athlete of any species, you're really walking a fine line between trying to, you know, be in peak condition. But if you step over that line, your risk of injury goes way, way up. Yeah. And I thought this article hit it the nail on the head when it said that exercise is necessary to maintain joint homostasis and plays a crucial role in the physiological maturation of joints 
in young horses. So much of the time we're told horses are started too young and all this, but just like bone remodels, the cartilage taking that weight bearing also helps it from becoming weak. Now it doesn't remodel it like bone remodels, mm -hmm. but it does play a part. And so I do believe that you can overdo it, but not doing enough can also create harm as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I remember back from our orthopedics course, where it was the first two years of life, um, that is where a, a majority of the bone, um, like the critical bone thickness comes from in development. And then after that, it doesn't really get any thicker, but you need that exercise outside and not, you know, sitting in a stall through those first two years to really get that, that thickness and that cortical bone. Yeah. In my young ones, um, we have a yearling that's going to be starting um, fall training. And, you know, we had him out running with 30 other yearling colts. And I always have the attitude that's helping him be strong, be savvy, kind of, you need street smarts if you're going to run in a pack of horses, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> and uh, um, I thought if they can't, if he can't survive that, he's not going to survive life on the racetrack and competing and the training that it takes. So um, I did want to say that most Mostly, it is the remodeling of cartilage that creates the osteoarthritis. Wouldn't you say that, Britt, that that's at the heart of it, that cartilage matrix? Yeah, that um, cartilage, um, the synovial membranes that surround your joint capsule, that fibrous joint capsule, but also um, that articular surface of the bone that interfaces with your cartilage, with your meniscus disc, um, those are kind of the areas that it's, it's, there's so much focus on cartilage. And I think it's because cartilage doesn't have any vascular structure. There's no veins or capillaries that bring blood into it. So its ability to heal is really quite limited. Mm -hmm. And I love your bird in the background. He's <laughs> I really apologize. <laughs> no, no, it adds a little, um, you know, what would you say ambiance to the podcast? You know? um, and yeah, I think that that is so true. And then it seemed like it starts out with an injury and you see heat, pain, swelling, maybe a decreased range of motion. And then uh, if you don't get a handle on it and, you know, start your your treatment protocol and your vet will probably come out to diagnose, um, you know, you may be in trouble further down the road as far as having a performance horse, mm -hmm. you know, um, I had an old guy came off the track and he had some stifle issues and his synovial fluid in his stifle was, had low viscosity. I mean, it did not have that oil to help lubricate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I found that out by the veterinarian doing uh, an ultrasound and then also pulled some fluid from that joint. So um, we can now talk about what they're going to do when they come out. What is their, um, 
you know, diet, how do they use their diagnostics to say, well, your horse has osteoarthritis? Yeah, I, I, the diagnostics are a huge range. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there, there's everything from x-rays, which um, just talking about radiographs in general, there is a poor correlation between findings on radiographs and, and pain. You can have a horse x-ray with perfect, perfect radiographs there, but they could be dead lame and there's nothing that's showing up on those x-rays. And you can have the opposite, a horse that's perfectly sound and performing well, and you're just, you know, doing a pre-purchase or whatever on it. And you find some pretty significant bony changes there, but the horse has no pain, no symptoms from it and is completely sound course everything in between Um, but it can be a very useful tool Uh, sensitivity wise though I don't think um, it can't detect those very early initial changes and those are the ones that you really want to catch and start managing before it progresses worse it's the later you catch it the later you manage it the kind of worse off your overall prognosis and return to performance is going to be I think Um, so, there, I mean, there's pros and cons to every diagnostic option out there. Yeah. Um, do you think maybe like coupling um, radiographs with ultrasound and, you know, that, um, oh, the Doppler tool that mm. kind of shows vascular, vascular changes or vascular changes within the joint, um, all those coupled together? would help? Or do you think it's just kind of a mixed bag of, I guess it depends on the injury, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it depends if there is an injury or if it's just developing because there's some sort of, um, you know, overuse kind of uh, mechanical, I guess it's still technically an injury if there's overuse damage in there, biochemical changes in there. Um, Ultrasound can be absolutely very useful as well to look in there. And I think that it um, can detect some changes earlier on. It can also look at the soft tissue, whereas those radiographs can't really see any changes that are happening in the soft tissue. Uh, That ultrasound can kind of look in there and at your points of attachment for your ligaments. If there's, you know, say changes in that area, you're getting osteophyte development that's impacting, you know, your ligaments or tendons or something that's easier to see on an ultrasound. And I should say, I'm not a vet. I'm not by any means an expert on diagnostic imaging. Um, This is just things I've picked up over the years. But, um, and as you said, with the Doppler to actually see that vascular flow in there can be really useful as well. I think you really need to let what's going on with the horse kind of guide your choices in diagnostics. Um, And then there's more direct ways to visualize things such as arthroscopy, where they actually make a small incision in the joint capsule and stick a camera right in there and actually look at everything. Yeah. Now, I remember when we were at Edinburgh, um, you had an older horse that had some um, arthritis cropping up and all that. Can you tell us, because I you still have him, and I'd like to kind of know and have our listeners know what your approach to his treatment was. Um, yeah, he's an ex-racehorse. He's 25 years old now, um, and he's doing fantastic. 
he's in with some of my younger guys. So he's still running in a field with them. Um, and he tries to keep up with the young ones and he does pretty good. Um, but he was a racehorse, 13 starts in a year and a half, I believe, before he was sold to the polo club. Um, and then he did polo for a while, but wasn't the greatest polo horse. So I actually bought him from the polo club when he was seven years old. So I've had him 18 years. I've had him a long time. Yeah. Um, he was my second ever horse. And um, I did do a pre-purchase on him and his uh, hind right hawk was actually already enlarged by um, a fair, I, I want to say it was like 40 or 50%. He was completely sound on it. Um, you know, we knew that arthritis was going to be uh, an issue with him at some point, but, um, I have, funny enough, the vet that I use for the pre-purchase actually runs chuck wagons. And he said, if I didn't buy Romeo, he was going to buy Romeo as an outrider for his chuck team. So I figured if my vet's going to buy him, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he's probably yeah. a good purchase. And he was a, he was a really good horse for me. We, we did a lot together. Um, he has retired now. Um, the arthritis has definitely kicked in. I did notice it progressing over the years, especially in winter being in Canada, we can get extremely, extremely cold minus 30 Celsius, which is, um, oh, minus 20, minus 30, 40, um, Fahrenheit. I'm not quite sure. Um, we can get to minus 40 Celsius, which I know Uh. is minus 40 Fahrenheit. So we get, we can get very cold in the winter up here. Um, and just definitely, the early signs were he was getting stiff on those winter days. Um, it was really cold when the farrier was out, um, just picking up those hinds. It was kind of, you could see it. He didn't quite have the full range of motion in there. Um, so I did retire him when it was getting too bad. It's, we're not doing a whole ton for it. For the most part, he's really, really, he's doing great. And in the summer and stuff, he's, He's doing fantastic. Um, I do, if I know the farrier is coming out and it's really cold or he's having a stiff day, I do use things like Butte periodically so we can get through those trims comfier for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I just butte him up about an hour or two before the farrier is due to come. Um, I am starting to think about for this winter putting him on um, some injectables like Legend or or Adequin, which is uh, just come back on the market up here. So we're discussing those. Um, Heat therapy can be really helpful as well, especially in the cold for him, and just managing his diet. Um, Mm -hmm. I found just really watching the vitamin and mineral content of his diet. Um, So working as a nutritionist, I do have um, a manufacturer I've teamed up with out here. So I do now I offer custom formulized vitamin and mineral supplements that are completely tailor-made to your hay. So I took my hay sample or my hay analysis, custom formulated a vitamin and mineral mix. I've put you know additional vitamins in there and other ones that aren't necessarily required but can be helpful. And I find just you know good pasture, omega threes, um, you know the right amounts of vitamins and minerals. Watching his calcium phosphorus ratio, watching his copper zinc ratio, um, and letting him have that movement out in the field has has done a lot for managing him so far. And he's, he's happy. 
Yeah, that's wonderful because I know the treatments mentioned in this paper were like anti-inflammatories like your butte. Mm -hmm. And um, I know on the track, a lot of times you don't want to get a butte overage or a banamine overage. So um, we do a lot of painting of their joints with certain um, concoctions like the DMSO and the AZM or the hard hill leg paint and things like that. It, but I do have that 25-year-old chestnut mare here, and I noticed she was getting a little flat in her epaxial muscles. Mm. And so I opted to cut down um, a little of her alfalfa because it was surprising how sometimes alfalfa can make them a little foot sore, as well as change the musculature. And maybe it's a little hard on their kidneys when they're older as well. So, um, you know, I find the diet too, also makes such an impact. Now, if someone has a horse that they're questioning, if they're feeding it, and they're balancing the minerals and the vitamins correctly, could they send you an email with what they feed and you would do like an analysis for them? Yes, um, that's exactly what I do. And it's funny what you said about the alfalfa because I went the other way and I have higher alfalfa hay. But I think the, the quality and, and types of plants that grow from where you are to where I am are a fair bit different. Um, mm -hmm. So I find my guys do better on a little bit alfalfa richer, but you do have to, um, our calcium gets quite high up here. We can get in excess of six to one calcium to phosphorus ratios, which is above the safe, you know, four to one maximum. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did have to custom formulate and get, you know, higher phosphorus in the supplement I've developed for my own horses and my, my own personal hay to make sure that I got that calcium phosphorus ratio in a good range for my horses. Well, and I think too, part of her was I was not exercising her as much as I do the younger ones. And once I started to implement a little more driving and long reining with her, it was surprising how when she engaged though is the abdominal muscles, the epaxial muscles, started to kind of blossom again. So I think it was a combination of inactivity, even though she's turned out, I think she needed a certain amount of physical therapy. Um, because I was kind of, you know, you figure they're 25, they've done their dues. Um, let her be a horse out with the others. I pull her in for fun and the grandkids get on her. But I have to say doing specific exercises that targeted those muscles and kind of made her go and engage the rear end as well seemed to kind of make those blossom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rehab would be really beneficial if they're not using their bodies properly. They can't support mm -hmm. the proper movement of those joints. Um, and that's one of the things that um, this paper goes into is discussing kind of using, you know, rehab with other methodologies, plus maybe your um, injectables or other um, regenerative therapies or or other treatments and kind of using it in a multifactorial way to 
approach the management of osteoarthritis. I think it was interesting, too, when they talked about hyaluronic acid. I was so surprised there's only one peer-reviewed study on the injection efficacy, and there's zero studies on oral hyaluronic acid. And I guess it's because it's very hard to, without a doubt, say that that pathway feeding it to them is actually what's creating a certain outcome. Do you think that's what it is? Because it's been on the market for many years. Yeah, I think it's been on since the 70s that they've been doing um, hyaluronic acid. Uh, A lot of these different kind of treatments, though, we they are being adapted mostly from human medicine. And it doesn't always work the same in humans as it does in horses. And it, it's, it can be so difficult to research, you know, different um, compounds, biological compounds and their effect on the joints. And unfortunately, part of it, you have to almost euthanize the horses to actually do cross-sectional analysis and, you know, take samples, bone slices and put them under microscopes or do other tests with them. So it's, it it does make it really difficult to study. Yeah, I, I really was impressed with the regenerative therapy part of this paper, because I think it's so cool that they can use the horse's own blood to help fight inflammation in these arthritic events. Yeah, those um, autologous conditioned serums, autologous protein solutions like the IRAP um, that they actually take out and process from the horse's blood or the same with the platelet-rich plasmas, they pull blood samples, spin it down, discard those kind of red blood cells, but keep that platelet portion or keep that plasma portion that has the platelets in it and then inject it back in because there's lots of really good growth factors and nutrients um, and plates, you know, platelets and things in that plasma that are part of the body's natural healing processes. And that's really kind of what they're trying to utilize here. Yeah, it's so cool. Because in one part of the paper, you have this higher technology. And then the next section, you go into cold water hosing, (laughs) which has been around since the sea biscuit days, you know, but it is interesting to note that they still say 15 to 20 minutes every two to three hours for the first 48 hours. And sometimes you might have to do it for two weeks post-injury, depending on what type of joint has been injured. And then um, I also wanted to point out that they still say that he is contraindicated for acute inflammation. So, you know, thoroughbred racing, we do have where um, at certain times of the year, you would paint a blister on a horse or a counter irritant and then just turn them out in the field for all winter. And um, I tell you, I used to think that worked because uh, I, but maybe it was just the fact that they were turned out and not brought back work until the spring and nature healed them running with other horses and being a horse kind of did the most part of that healing yeah it's hard to say in those conditions but I think Mm -hmm. just resting and not moving to the level that they would be when they're actively 
you know, working and competing can, can do a lot and let the body have time to recover. Yep. Yeah. And then um, the rehabilitation, I mean, they went from, um, oh my God, there's so many things and they advise that you just can't do one thing, just like Mm -hmm. you can't just do one treatment. Um, The rehab is the same way. There's so many tools that you can use in your, your toolbox. So did you put your um, Romeo through any physical therapy? Uh, outside of a body worker, not really okay. yet. Like he, I, he has some arthritis, but he's not, he's not super, super severe. Um, it's also kind of harder to get things like laser therapy, um, or therapeutic ultrasounds out where I am. Um, and I think that's part of it is I have, I'd have to haul him a good hour to an equine specialty clinic to get treatments mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, um, I was interested in the water therapy at one point, um, mm-hmm. the Hudson Aquatic System, which if anybody's interested, they're having a webinar. You can go to Hudson Aquatic uh, website and sit in on a webinar on August 29th on um, the, you know, how they rehab. Uh, horses using the aquatic treadmill. And, uh, but anyway, um, I think what I'm really interested in knowing is when a horse comes to you and it needs physical therapy or rehab, um, the chart in this paper is like two weeks of hand walking. And then uh, at 10 minutes, two weeks at 15 minutes, and then four weeks, um, hand walk and trot. I mean, don't you think the whole thing is not to get too far ahead of yourself too quickly? Yeah, I think that that slow return to work and people get impatient. But if you rush that process, um, I think we learned in our exercise phys course of how long it actually takes for those tendons and muscles and bones to adapt to that exercise. It's a slow process. It can take six, eight weeks for tendons to really adapt to the strain of work. So if you're rushing your horse in that back to work process, after you've done all the, you know, healing and your vet says they're ready to return to work, you need to take it slow. And I know it's, it's so we get impatient so easily and we just want to want them back and working. But if you rush it, your risk of injury or re-injury, I should say, um, you know, aggravating the initial injury or even um, a new injury because maybe they're not moving quite right. So they're, you know, their bodies aren't moving quite right. So they're overloading something else. And then a new injury cropping up. It's really, really high. If you rush it, you really need to take it slow. And it's, so annoying. I completely understand that. But it is in your horse's best interest to keep that risk of injury as low as possible. And you know what, there's nothing worse than hand walking a thoroughbred who's somewhat pent up and full of themselves. And you're told to hand walk for 10 minutes, that 10 minutes seems like 10 hours when you're walking and I'm, it's so hard and then you have to do it twice a day. So um, I know it's so difficult. Um, Kate and I did an episode on how they invented this device you could fit on the horse's ankle and it would help them not overextend that joint. And I don't know if it has ever hit the market, but they had a prototype 
that um, they wrote up a paper on. And I thought, oh, my God, if you could make it easier on hand walking a horse that if they kind of started jumping around, you weren't going to end up with that joint all swollen back to square one. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't think I've seen anything like it on the market. Um, There are a lot of gimmicky products on the market that, you know, when you really think about it, they probably don't work quite the way that they say they do. Um, Others that can be helpful, but it all depends on how you use it and at what point. Um, I know one of the vet clinics that I often work in conjunction with, they have um, a rehab therapist there. She's fantastic. And she uses those um, like surefoot pads that she puts the horses on a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, They've done some webinars with those and it's really, really interesting. There's so many modalities out there um, and and so many different things. It's really, um, it's so tough to choose exactly what you think will be best for your horse. Well, and you know, that's so uh, funny, you should mention the surefoot, because one of the things that this osteoarthritis seems to mess up is their proprioceptors, Mm -hmm. or proprioceptive um, abilities. And that surefoot is supposed to reawaken that, or to give them um, a sense and tell people, well, this is how this horse is most comfortable standing. And uh, if anybody's interested in that, the webinars with Wendy Murdoch um, explain the surefoot and how it works and all that. I do have a flat-footed thoroughbred that um, recently came off the track, and I did get him uh, the clouds, the easy boot cloud, and it has that um, special foam that when they step in this boot, um, it gives their proprioception kind of, uh, makes it more knowledgeable to them. And it has really improved his soul and the way he walks and all that, just trying to toughen up his feet where, I just don't want to put nail holes in that brittle foot. It was a long toe, low heel, and uh, we've got him balanced, trimmed, and all that. And uh, now we're trying to transition him where he can be turned out during the winter um, just barefoot. But it's a slow process as well. Yes, it's so slow when you're dealing with those, um, that long toe, low heel kind of flat-footed thing is, is common in the thoroughbred breed. Um, I do see it a fair bit. Well, and it seems, uh, it seems to, oh my God, they have such brittle and weak feet because of that. And it's not a coincidence. I think he had a, uh, suspensory tear because of the breakover being Mm -hmm. so far out in front of him that when he came in, Compared to my other thoroughbreds, I was like, oh, my God, we have got to fix this guy, you know, and get his feet right. And that puts such a strain on the joints then higher up all the way, all the way through the body, really. So um, but I do like the foam. There's something to it. I'm waiting for research to come out on it. But um, I have seen that do some wonderful things as far as their ability to, um, you know, overcome certain injuries. 
Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. And it brings yeah. up another excellent point of the role of your horse's actual confirmation in kind of what they're predisposed to for injury, as you said, um, when they're really flat footed and long toed like that, that breakover point changes compared to a horse that's more upright. Mm -hmm. So it does put more strain on those fetlock joints, they have to work harder to overcome that breakover point. Um, and there's just so much about the confirmation of the horse that can impact how hard or easy different muscle groups, different tendons have to work and the force that's going through those actual joints themselves. If you're no, you know, not quite aligned to ideal because maybe you're a little toed out or, um, you know, just in the, in the way the whole body has developed and it's, it's really, it, it's so complex and multifactorial. Yeah, I told this um, horse's owner, I go, you know what, you need to put flippers on your feet, swim flippers, and then look at your breakover point. <laughs> I said, that's what this guy's going through, putting his foot so far out in front of him, you know, to be able to turn it. And that just puts such a strain on that fetlock. So this article does mention the amount of strain a jumper takes in yeah. his landing. And it's, it's the same premise almost, you know, one's coming from up vertically and the other one's coming from a horizontal position. But, um, I, I it, it also mess, mentions the, um, the, the overload received on the hawk joints in those Western competitions when you're dealing with, yes. um, you know, those cutters that are rolling back and forth and back and forth or those barrel racers and they're really getting on that hind end and putting so much force through those joints to accelerate, stop, turn, accelerate. Yeah, I, I just uh, am so happy you were able to come on and spend some time with us. I know you're busy. Um, I just think that osteoarthritis, I think uh, towards the closing of this, it said like 60% of equine lamenesses are related to osteoarthritis. And that is often the reason a horse is retired early from mm -hmm. its athletic careers. And then um, it also said that it can get up to, what was it, like 80%? 80 to 90% of, yeah, yeah. of older horses yes. eventually. You know, that is a huge amount of horses. And if there's anything we can do to lessen their pain, lessen their, um, uh, you know, give them the ability to have their range of motion, they'll be happier horses and be much more comfortable. And hopefully we won't have to um, drug them up with a bunch of butte and aspirin and other things that people use um, yeah. to get them through. But anyway, um, did you have anything else to add, Brittany? Yeah, I was going to say that this article was just, it encompassed so much. We really only touched on half the things. We didn't even get into MRI and CT and blood test biomarkers for um, signs of like molecular degeneration markers and your um, inflammatory cytokines that you can find in the blood to diagnose um, osteoarthritis or to indicate that it's even occurring. Um, we never got into things like the, um, or some of the others that they had stem cell treatments, polyacrylamide hydrogels, 
shockwave, biphosphonates, other rehab, like it's, it's so broad that we really only touched on about half of it. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I will say, I'll put a link to the paper, you know, it's such a great overview mm -hmm. of arthritis in horses and where we are today. Maybe we hit half of what this paper says, and we've almost talked 45 <laughs> minutes, you know, but yeah, um, I would. And, and it does go into all the pathobiological processes of how mm -hmm. osteoarthritis develops and more into the structure of um, the actual cartilage and things that's all in this paper and is really interesting and informative. And uh, I think it would be great for people to check out that link to this paper and read it for themselves. Yeah, especially if you're having some issues or you have a young horse and you want to prevent issues in the mm -hmm. future. I think the training aspect of it, it is really good. And then, you know, if you catch it early and treat it early, the pro prognosis is much better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, that's all I had, Britt, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but oh, we will love to have you back. We always say, let's get Brittany on. <laughs> I love being here. I would be happy to join you guys more, and um, hopefully once I'm further along in my PhD, I can talk to you a bit about some of the things that I'm researching once I get to that point. Oh, that would be awesome. We're going to take you up on that. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Yes. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.